I am happy to be with you. And I choose this morning uh, to dedicate my presentation to my dear friend and long-term mentor, Dr. Mervyn Hardy. Uh, there's no question that outside my family, he had the greatest influence on my life. Uh, and it was with him and under him uh, that I helped to start the MPH program in the School of Public Health. But uh, I, uh, he died, as most of you know, on September 20. And uh, there will be a memorial service for him in Loma Linda tomorrow afternoon. I usually give uh, PowerPoint presentations. But the Lord led me this time, and I thank him, that he led me to give you an extensive set of notes. And each of you in your registration packet, if you haven't seen it yet, have six pages of notes. And uh, this <laughs> gives me unbelievable freedom. Uh, I've given you lots of facts and history in these notes. But having given those, uh, I now free, feel free uh, to give you my passion that the Lord has laid on me uh, without worrying uh, so much about the notes, though I will follow generally the outline that you have in the notes. The, the history that I'm giving you is one that I would seek to personalize to each of you. I've given in the outline that you have the subtitle, What Would God Have Me To Do In These Last Days? And that's what my passion is. I love history, uh, but my passion is to learn from history uh, and make applications from it. I'm dividing my presentation to some thoughts on the message, the health reform message, on the training of the messengers, uh, and on the implementation of the message. That's the three divisions uh, that I will go through. And as I say, I'm going to give you highlights and what God has impressed on me as of special value to me. I will begin by recognizing, as I think all of you do, that health reform as a term has become, uh, in the last hundred years, uh, a, a bad term uh, to be used amongst Seventh-day Adventists. It is so tied up with fanaticism and other things uh, that are not good that we don't use the term uh, health reform. But the, the um, quote that I'm going to use to introduce our talk today is from volume three of the testimonies, page 161. And that uses the term health reform and, uh, and I seek to use it. Then I was shown that health reform is one branch, it's not the only branch, but one branch of the great work which is to fit a people for the coming of the Lord. And we're beginning to lay a foundation. Uh, good health is good of itself, but it's not the purpose of God in giving us health. It's as a preparation uh, for the coming of the Lord. And it is as closely connected with the third angel's message as the hand is with the body. We all recognize that a person without a hand is severely handicapped. But I assure you that a hand without the body is even more handicapped. Men and women cannot violate natural law and now we're going to really hone in on that term. Men and women cannot violate natural law by indulging depraved appetites and lustful passions and not violate the law of God. They are inextricably tied together. But what is our commission? Our challenge is clearly stated in the last sentence from this quotation. To make plain natural law and urge the obedience of it is the work that accompanies the third angel's message to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. To make plain natural law 
uh, is a study. It takes work, but I suggest that is our major work to understand. I like very much uh, the way Neil Nedley put it last night. Uh, health is good, but uh, it's, it's a precious truth uh, that we have in our health reform message. Uh, but the testing truth is to understand those natural laws and how to apply them. And it is for the purpose of preparing a people for the coming of the Lord. That was given more than 130 years ago. Fast forward to the present from 130 years ago. We don't use health reform, but health reform is on the, in the message of every uh, politician today. And, and for good reason, and we're not going to go into it more than to point out that certainly the fact that this year it appears that the cost for health care per person, every man, woman, and child, is over $8,500, will be over $8,500 per person per year. And of course, it's not equally distributed, and, and I think all of us would agree that modern health care uh, puts much too much emphasis on technology and drugs and treatment of symptoms without much consideration uh, of disease and its cause and prevention. But God is giving us another opportunity because the problems that we face today are mostly, to the extent of 80% or thereabouts, lifestyle diseases that brings us back to what I've just given is the original purpose, to, to study and, and, to, and to recognize the natural law. Uh, modern medical science, with all its technology, is almost powerless to deal with obesity and hypertension and diabetes and, its prevent and uh, cancer and even anxiety and depression. These are all treat diseases best treated at home by lifestyle changes. And they are rational and reasonable, natural law is. And Captain Joseph Bates, uh, considered one of the three founders, George Knight in his recent biography says he is the founder of Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, but Joseph Bates is the classic example of how we can, by observation and experience, make intelligent choices in reforming our, our health, our life practices. Uh, and I give you a, a brief summary. Uh, he came to all of these that I list here by his own recognition. In other words, no one told him. He recognized by his own observation and experience. For instance, in 1821, he gave up alcohol. Uh, he was in prison uh, as a prisoner of war during the War of 1812. And he had much time to think. And as he uh, was visiting with one of, the, uh, one of his fellow prisoners, they began to try to understand uh, what are the big problems of seamen. These were all uh, sailors that were imprisoned there. What is the big problem? And he, he came to the recognition with his friend uh, that it, alcohol was at the root of major, major problems amongst the seamen and they pledged to give up alcohol. But it's interesting to note that uh, Captain Joseph Bates decided, well, I'm giving up alcohol, except uh, it's okay for me to have a glass of wine with my dinner in the evening. And so, he, though he stopped for a while, he, he uh, came back to the habit of a glass of wine with his dinner. And he did that, until he came to the recognition himself that he was looking forward more to the glass of wine than he was to the food. And he said, that's it. And he, he never touched alcohol after that. It's interesting that he was baptized uh, some years later. And as he and the minister were changing from their wet clothes to their dry clothes, uh, Captain Bates sought to persuade the minister who baptized him to join him 
in organizing a temperate society. Uh, he didn't do it, but Captain Bates uh, did continue with establishing one of the first temperate societies. He gave up tobacco, uh, not because of any health reason. Uh, he was both chewing and smoking uh, cigars and pipe. Uh, he came to feel that it was a dirty habit. And perhaps uh, one of his favorite texts helps you to understand that. He, he used Isaiah 52:11, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. I had never uh, attached that uh, to uh, any of my health lectures, but that was a favorite text of him. And uh, on the basis of that, he threw all his tobacco overboard and never went back to it. Uh, he surrendered himself to God alone aboard a ship. Uh, it so happened that Christopher, one of his seamen on board his ship, uh, died. And it was his responsibility, Captain Bates' responsibility, to uh, have the services for him. Uh, and he was much perplexed by this. He, he tells that this was a pivotal point in his life. Uh, and uh, he, he knew God to a point but he had certainly never surrendered himself to God. And in the uh, experience uh, of having to prepare that funeral sermon, uh, he came to surrender himself to God. Um, we can't go into all of this, but uh, he resolved in 1843 to eat no more meat. Uh, and he doesn't give us at the time he made that announcement, uh, why he did it, but in his journal, it is clear that several years before, he had been mightily impressed uh, as he was loading a ship, his ship in Liverpool, England. Uh, they were loading salt, and uh, there were two potato-eating Irishmen shoveling from the barge, the scow, uh, into the ballast port, ballast port of of the ship, and they were doing it faster than seven or eight of his meat-eating seamen could shovel it into the hold. And, uh, and, and Captain Bates was mightily impressed uh, that uh, uh, meat did not seem to be necessary to provide strength. Uh, he gave up tea and coffee uh, shortly after he uh, uh, retired from the sea. Uh, and his experience is illustrative of most of the changes he made in his life. Uh, he was visiting friends, uh, and he had that evening uh, a cup of tea that was stronger than he was used to, and it wasn't until the wee morning hours that he was able to go to sleep. And he said, that's it. If it has so much effect on my mind, uh, that's it. And he never went back to tea or coffee again. But it's also interesting to recognize that Bates exerted mostly a silent influence. He never pushed his practices on others. He did not make prominent in public or in private his views of proper diet unless asked about them. When asked why he did not partake of flesh meat, grease, or highly spiced foods, he would often quietly reply, I have eaten my share. It is true that after 1863, uh, when Ellen White had received her health vision, uh, he was much more free in speaking uh, publicly. But until then, he had been very careful not to push his uh, practices on others. And I think inspiration suggests that's the way to go. Of all people, and I'm quoting, of all people in the world, Reformers should be the most unselfish, the most kind, the most courteous. The worker who shows impatience at the ignorance or waywardness of others, who speaks hastily or acts, thoughts, acts thoughtlessly, may close the door to hearts so that he can never reach them. And we must not be conscience for others. Those who love and serve God should be allowed to follow their own convictions. May the Lord help us to be firm as a rock to the principles, those natural laws, uh, to the principles of the law spoken from Sinai, and may he help us not to allow difference of opinions relative to the natural laws to be a barrier between us 
and our brethren. And then we turn to training the health messenger. The basic purpose of our health message is to make clear that we need to learn the natural laws that govern our bodies and, and help others to understand them. But how do we train people for that? Uh, let me go to number three in this section. This is on page two of the outline. I, I encourage you to follow as we go along. Uh, beginning in 1905, Ellen White said of Loma Linda, make it all you possibly can in the education of nurses and physicians. And then she added, thousands of workers are to be qualified with the ability of physicians to labor not as physicians, but as medical missionary evangelists. And she often used another quote, many are to be qualified with all the ability of physicians to labor not in professional lines, but as medical missionary evangelists. A few physicians and many medical missionary evangelists was much, much emphasized in all of the early counsel uh, to uh, Loma Linda. Just a sideline that I mentioned before is the evidence that God prepares the way uh, in his work. And uh, as Battle Creek went down, so went down the American Medical Missionary College. This was the medical school founded by uh, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. Uh, and in 1910, in October of 1910, to be exact, the last class, mostly Adventists, graduated from the AAMC and it was taken over by the University of Illinois. The month prior to that, September in 1910, the first class of medical students was accepted into Loma Linda. Uh, God had prepared the way as Battle Creek went down that Loma Linda uh, took the place. It's very important uh, to try to understand the counsel of our prophet who has given so much uh, information to us about health and healthful living and to recognize uh, how desperately uh, those leaders in Loma Linda sought to know uh, God's will as she might uh, give it to them uh, on the details of the curriculum and, and the length of the course and so forth. And she followed a very standard practice in these last years of her ministry. She refused to allow anyone to even think about becoming dependent on her when they were, when she was asked sp those specific questions. Uh, she, in essence, answered, uh, God has given you your intellect, uh, you have the Bible, uh, you have the testimonies that I have written out, uh, and you have the book of nature, the science of health. Uh, and you must come to your own conclusion with prayer and study of, uh, of those revelations. She would not give uh, direct counsel on those details of how long. And it's very clear as you, for instance, look through the minutes uh, of the board meetings at Loma Linda in those early days that uh, there was confusion. And I can show it in more ways than one, but uh, on June 17, 1912, the, the board voted to ask the faculty to outline more definitely or more clearly the medical evangelism course and to clarify it at the next board meeting. I couldn't find that that was ever done. Uh, again, uh, in 1916, uh, in the board minutes, some time was given to consideration of the medical evangelism course and the securing students for it who shall be competent and qualified after completing a course of study to do effective evangelistic work. There was great difficulty recruiting the right 
type of persons, uh, and it was obviously difficult uh, to organize the course, uh, just to summarize it. Uh, it clearly began as a three-year course, and that was the principal course taught. There was one other three-year course, which was nursing. But those two courses were the principal courses that began in Loma Linda in 1906, the, near, the year after the school was founded. That three-year course became at one point a four-year course. Mostly it was a two-year course through the years. Uh, before it finished, it was a one-year course. And, and, and after that, just as it finished, it was a three-month course, which makes it clear that uh, uh, the faculty there did not have uh, a clear idea of, of what medical evangelism training should be. But basic principles are laid out. Uh, and I think they are best listed, and they're in your notes, from the 1909-1910 bulletin. This is just the year before the medical school began. Uh, and uh, you have the, uh, the outline there. I'm not going to go through it. Uh, but the Bible should be the basis of all education is number one. Uh, it's very clear uh, that there was not to be learning for learning's sake. In other words, as, she, as it's put, and it's mostly from her writings, scientific intricacies not essential to efficiency in medical and evangelistic work should be eliminated. Uh, and F, the teaching of preventive hygiene is of prime importance. Uh, I'm confident that if she was giving that sentence today, she would say the teaching of preventive or lifestyle medicine is of prime importance. Uh, and uh, she pointed out that instructors of marked ability and decided spirituality should be selected for the work. And the fact that that was a, uh, a problem is reflected again in the board minutes. Uh, this time in 1929, March 27, uh, I would like to know uh, the background of this, but it's fairly strong words that were voted by the board, and I'm quoting, men who are only nominal Seventh-day Adventists should be eliminated from the faculty as fast as reasonably possible. There were obviously uh, problems through the years uh, at Loma Linda in, in this area. Percy T. McGann uh, was president of CME, the College of Medical Evangelists, in 1938. Uh, and in his eloquent style, uh, he gave a report to the constituency in which he said this, now will you go back with me to the days when Ellen G. White walked this hill and remember her statements that we should train a few doctors and a large number of others with the qualification of physicians, but without the legal qualifications. And you know how, in an early day, here we tried very, very hard to get together classes to train uh, them in medical ministry or medical evangelism. Young men would tell us, if we do get this training, we're not preachers, we're not nurses, we're not doctors, we're nothing. And we've no degree. And we were unable, continuing the quote, unable to stem the tide that drove against us. We dropped the effort. But he ended with this challenge. My dear friends, we are firmly of the opinion that every good work that God has ever spoken concerning this place uh, will be fulfilled before the end. It looks to us as if a plan may be worked out whereby men going into the ministry may have some training in this place in a conjoint course which will unite medical ministry with the work of preaching the gospel. This is one thing which must be done before the end, and I say amen to that. There were many small uh, but clear evidence or efforts in health evangelism training at Loma Linda uh, during the next 40 years, but the next major effort to revive medical evangelism after the council uh, given at the beginning of the school uh, came in uh, the 1960s uh, when uh, the School of Public Health, and this 
comes down to my time uh, and uh, it uh, hurts me to have to share the story uh, because it is a story of, of failure, uh, though I don't know what Mervyn or I could have done otherwise. But um, Mervyn Harding, the founding dean, chose to serve as the chair of the Department of Health Education in the new school and very quickly uh, organized what was called church health, health education as a curriculum. And you recognize that's just another name for health evangelism, church health education. Uh, and uh, this curriculum uh, was developed at Loma Linda. Uh, it began to be implemented in field schools of evangelism, which uh, Andrews uh, sponsored, and particularly in 1969, the first field schools that included health as well as the traditional uh, uh, messages uh, in the evangelism efforts. Uh, the first two uh, were one in Savannah, Georgia, and the other in, uh, in eastern Pennsylvania. And the theology students from Andrews were very, very much impressed uh, with the union that was there between the gospel ministry and, and health. Uh, and they began asking, and in fact, it came through the board of Loma Linda University, the request to petition the General Conference to allow health teaching to be a part of the theological education. And it took a couple of years to work out, but eventually it was worked out so that in 1972, a cooperative effort, effort between Loma Linda and Andrews led to the approval of a degree program which offered a Master of Science in Public Health and conjointly with the MDiv degree. And uh, as many as 50 ministers took opportunity to take that program uh, during the next eight years. And that included, praise the Lord, the current president of the General Conference, uh, the current uh, uh, chairman of the board of Loma Linda University, and, and many others that you might recognize but the sad story is that in 1980, uh, a letter came out of the blue to Loma Linda from the provost saying, uh, it's been good that we've been able to provide this to a few people, uh, but it's time to discontinue the, quote, experiment. And that was the end of Dr. Minister training formally within the church at Loma Linda and particularly with Andrews University. But there was the counsel from the very beginning, they should have the skills of a physician, but not necessarily be licensed. Uh, and that was on the heart of Dr. Harding uh, from the beginning. Uh, and again, uh, it took a lot of effort, and I can certainly recall many, many brainstorming sessions as we sought to pull together a curriculum for a doctoral program and it was called the Doctor of Health Science. Uh, and this program attracted many students and was lauded by the accrediting associations uh, as a very innovative and a practical program. Uh, and it does continue. It's been reorganized as the Doctor of Public Health degree in preventive care uh, and is not as strong in, uh, in evangelism as originally advocated but it does provide an excellent uh, background for a non-MD practitioner of lifestyle medicine following many of the principles laid down by inspiration many years ago. In summary, the early council to train a few licensed physicians to head the work and quote thousands with the ability of physicians to, but to work as full-time medical evangelists or medical missionary work has been completely reversed. Uh, next year, the 10,000th physician will graduate from Loma Linda. The number of medical missionary evangelists using the original uh, definitions uh, are but a handful. But it's not too late, I suggest to reemphasize the training of many medical missionaries 
to help finish God's witness to the world. And now the most important is to recognize the importance of giving the message. Uh, as I studied the history of Loma Linda, I was uh, much impressed by the, the word that a vision in medical evangelism had been given to Ellen White and it had instigated uh, a new approach in evangelism uh, at Loma Linda and I couldn't know what that vision was. I finally came to find that vision and I do have the original typed manuscript of that vision. It's just two pages. But I have given you a summation in Ellen White's own words from that vision. Uh, it's something of a mystery vision to me. There is no question in the E.G. White estates uh, that it was a vision uh, as any other vision, but it is not listed in the list of visions that the Ellen G. White estate uh, maintains. Uh, it certainly has not had uh, much influence outside of Loma Linda. The vision itself uh, as typed in the manuscript, does not state itself to be a health evangelism vision. It says, an appeal for labor in our cities. And I've given you some high points of this vision, but let me give you the context. Uh, recognize, this is 1910. Uh, Ministry of Healing had been published five years before that, in 1905. The testimonies had been completed at least three or four years before that. Uh, and uh, uh, essentially all of the council, and there's much on working the cities and using health approach. It had all been given before this. But listen to what is said here. Uh, and I'm quoting directly from uh, her account of the vision. During the night of February 27, a representation was given me in which the unworked cities were represented before me as a living reality. And I was plainly instructed that there should be a decided change from past methods of working. For months, the situation has been impressed on my mind. And I urge that companies, and this is, I believe, the new information here that companies, I would, call, I would interpret that as teams, be organized and diligently trained. Companies be organized and diligently trained to labor in our important cities. And then she goes on, uh, under those companies, the workers should labor two and two, and from time to time should meet together to relate their experiences. Uh, this was the message uh, that uh, Ellen White uh, recognized as very important, important enough. Uh, you, I can just give you her last words in this, uh, in this representation of the vision. I have faithfully written out the warning that God has given me. They have been printed in books, yet I cannot forbear. I must write these same things over and over. I ask not to be relieved. As long as the Lord spares my life, I must continue to bear these earnest messages." And uh, she actually wrote to Daniel Crest, Dr. Daniel Crest, who was medical director at Tacoma Park, Washington Sanitarium at that time. Uh, and she told him, and this is now within five years of her death, she said, I am prepared on the basis of this vision uh, to give my, the rest of my life, to leave my home and never return, she said, give the rest of my life to seeking to do what God impressed me to do in this vision. It has had very little impact on the church otherwise, but at Loma Linda it had considerable impact. Uh, incidentally, uh, Ellen White visited Loma Linda many times between 1905, when her first vision was in June of 1905, and, and her last visit was in November 1912, where she spent almost a month at Loma Linda, 
including the celebration of her 85th birthday. That was her last visit. But in between March and May 1910, the vision was in February 1910, uh, between March and May, uh, she was in Southern California and made many visits to Loma Linda, and I speculate uh, that she prepared the way for the vision which had not yet been published, uh, so that when it was published, action immediately occurred at Loma Linda. Uh, it was not published uh, for reasons that are not entirely clear until September uh, of 1910. Uh, but at that time, John Burden and R.S. Owens immediately went to John H.N. Tyndall and invited him and requested him to try out this new approach, uh, which inferred that health reform principles were to be used in the program. Uh, and we don't have to go, time to go into uh, John Tyndall's story. It's a fascinating story of a young man who was raised a Methodist, uh, hellfire offended him, uh, and he became an atheist. He entered law school, uh, but uh, during his study, uh, there was a gold strike down on the border just uh, east of San Diego. He was from San Diego, uh, and he uh, headed for the gold strike and somehow ended up in the home of an Adventist. Uh, Papa Bell, as he was called, uh, and uh, uh, Brother Bell uh, read The Desire of Ages, and it completely captivated the heart of John Tyndall. This was probably in 1907 or 8. At least in 1908, Tyndall came to Loma Linda as a Bible-only student. In fact, he was registered uh, as I went through the records two years, both times as Bible student, uh, no evidence that he took any uh, health course. Uh, but he was chosen uh, by John Burden and R.S. Owens, the Bible teacher, uh, to try out uh, this new approach. Uh, and uh, his first company was a small company. It consisted of himself, and two nurses, a man and a wife couple. And they set up a tent and began this new approach as outlined in the vision that you have uh, in your outline. And uh, the results, and this is the word that was used in reporting, the good result electrified Loma Linda. San Bernardino had been a hard nut to crack. They had tried many times to do evangelism work without success, uh, but 16 converts came about by this first medical evangelism approach. Uh, a, a, an example of how it worked was there was a businessman, a successful businessman in San Bernardino that uh, faithfully attended the meetings uh, and had accepted all the truth, including the Sabbath truth, suddenly stopped attending. Uh, as Tyndall and uh, Brother Garnsey, the nurse, uh, visited him, it quickly became uh, apparent what the problem was. He was a smoker. Uh, he also had a heart condition, and he was persuaded that if he stopped smoking, it would kill him. Um, so uh, uh, Elder Tyndall, or he wasn't an elder at that time, but Tyndall the evangelist, uh, assigned uh, the Garnseys to stay full-time with him from a practical standpoint and see him through the withdrawal symptoms. Uh, and uh, we're told the grateful businessman uh, put his pipe on a fence post in his backyard uh, uh, to show the idol that almost took his life. And, uh, and uh, a short time later, uh, he helped Loma Linda with a $10,000 uh, interest-free loan at a time when they were struggling, and uh, uh, just one of the results of how it worked. And, and uh, Elder Tyndall, uh, from that time on, uh, worked in health evangelism following the plan laid out by Ellen White. Now let me 
share with you a, another story uh, that shows the interest of Ellen White uh, in what was going on at Loma Linda. There's the, the knowledge of Tyndall's evangelistic effort, uh, the knowledge of the principles uh, behind uh, medical evangelism training uh, were all printed in the original medical evangelist, uh, which was the journal, uh, the first journal uh, from the College of Medical Evangelists. In my early research several years ago, uh, I was in the Ellen White Estates and uh, was reading through those first medical evangelists. Uh, and this happens to be the second one. I, I copied it because it affected me so deeply. Um, as I was reading through uh, this uh, July 1908 issue of the College of Medical Evangelists, it's the number two issue, um, I began to recognize that someone was uh, editing it typographically, pointing out errors. It wasn't a real good printing job. It was done at Loma Linda. Uh, and then I began to see notes scribbled. And, and then there's one, please look at something, and it's signed Ellen G. White. Uh, and it hit me that I was reading her personal journal. Uh, and uh, goosebumps popped out on me uh, to recognize this grandmother in Elmshaven, uh, age in 1908 of, in her 80s, uh, was so interested in Loma Linda that she was not just following the news, but actually uh, typographically editing it. Uh, and, uh, and I have no question that she read everything that came, and I believe that infers that she approved it because she didn't hesitate uh, to say what she did not approve. Uh, Tyndall's experience teaches uh, that every public effort should be organized as a training school for local church members as well as for other evangelists that desire the training. Uh, to utilize the skills of many different persons. Uh, doctors, nurses, cooks, Bible workers. Uh, and every effort uh, included practical service, such as massage and hydrotherapy and, and home nursing and, and, and simple treatments. Probably the greatest uh, or the, the, the best evaluation of this work uh, that began at Loma Linda as the result of this vision uh, is the establishment in the faith of the converts. Going back 40 years, uh, there was very little dropout of the converts from the health evangelistic approach. Uh, it was not uncommon for John Tyndall to take six months or even longer to conduct an effort because there was so much preparation preceding an effort in training church members and in bringing in other ministers or others who desired training. It's interesting that he recognized uh, how difficult it was to get people to come out nightly. Uh, I have no record that he ever gave nightly meetings. He used three evenings a, a week, three evenings a week. And he followed a fairly standard practice that Tuesday evening, was for nutrition, uh, Thursday was for general health, and Sunday was for gospel presentations. Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. Incidentally, we are currently giving a CHIP program in, in, um, in, in our little home church in Tennessee, uh, and we've come to this uh, pattern, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. It works beautifully for us, far better than the original CHIP recommendation of four nights a week. There's much more we could say about uh, uh, John Tyndall. But I have given you, uh, in the outline, uh, two pages of specific counsel from the Spirit of Prophecy, and you can go over this at your leisure. 
but uh, it's specific counsel for these last days when every member of the church should take hold and should be a part of the work of every church in the land. And every city is to be entered by workers trained. And I like number nine under D, while logic may fail to move and argument be powerless to convince the love of Christ revealed in personal ministry may soften the stony heart so that the seed of truth can take root. And the last quote in that section is one that uh, tells us the worst evil that can be placed in our churches. I want to tell you that when the gospel ministers and medical missionaries are not united, there is placed in our churches the worst evil that can be placed there. The personal preparation that is needed for them is outlined uh, and, uh, and the sanctification process is specifically pointed to, it's not merely a theory, an emotion, or a form of words, but a living active principle entering into the everyday life. And the urgency is, is pointed out. As we near the close of time, we must rise higher and still higher. Uh, we must begin to do with what we have in our hands. Uh, put into practice what you already know. And the urgency includes because we have an epidemic of crime occurring in the world today. Uh, and uh, this work is the work that will restore the moral image of God in man. In closing, and according to the back, I have two minutes. Uh, I would refer you to Ministry of Healing. Uh, there are two chapters in the book Ministry of Healing that give you a very complete outline, a manual for medical missionary work. And they are chapters eight and nine, the physician and educator uh, and teaching and healing. And the names of the, uh, of the chapters give you what I think must be our emphasis. We as physicians, I hope do not seek to evaluate ourselves by the number of patients we treat or, or even the number of cures we have. It's the number of people we have influence to carry on medical missionary work. Uh, and let me just read you the first words. And when it says physicians, I'm satisfied you can substitute health worker without any violence uh, to the spirit of prophecy. But quoting the first words of this chapter, the physician and educator, true physicians are educators. They recognize their responsibility, not only to the sick who are under their care, but also to the communities in which they live, their public health workers. They stand as guardians of both physical and moral health. It is their endeavor not only to teach right methods for the treatment of the sick, but to encourage right habits of living and to spread a knowledge of right principles. Right principles are the natural laws that we pointed to and were for the preparation of people for the coming of the Lord. And she goes on to say, education and health principles was never more needed than now. And she emphasizes that. I, 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 I refer you uh, to the book Ministry of Healing, chapters eight and nine, uh, to get what I believe is God's counsel for us, even as physicians. Uh, I would point out that it's suggesting major change. I'm well aware, and I'm not saying uh, that you have to give up medical practice, but I am saying that the counsel that I've shared with you uh, I think clearly states that we have a responsibility as physicians uh, to work with our churches and other community groups to train medical missionaries who can provide the domino effect to help finish the work. Certainly the need of the work in our cities is greater than ever. Uh, I believe the principles of the Ellen White vision of February 1910 are still applicable today. They need to be tried anew in our large cities. I even think it would be of interest 
to see if it wouldn't even work as a satellite event to use this approach. I don't think we should fear to experiment. The most effective approach I point to is always the local approach, meeting people where they are. This suggests organizing local churches and communities to utilize whatever resources are available to immediately begin training and supervising workers who provide the health education and practical local missionary service. And uh, certainly, last but not least, the best way to teach health reform is to personally live it and demonstrate its benefits through improved health and vitality that can easily be, uh, be observed by all. History teaches me clearly that we are not yet in the kingdom because we have not yet developed the characters or finished the work that God would have us to do. The counsel that was given back in 1905 and continued to be given and has been given before and after that is still applicable. Uh, I think it's up to us uh, to see how we can apply it in our home communities, our home churches. God promises that he will bless it. Incidentally, I didn't give my view of, uh, of the health message, but uh, the, uh, the General Conference Ministerial Associated published my book, Heaven's Lifestyle Today, which is the biblical approach to health. And for those of you who are interested in the details, which we did not have time to go into, uh, the new book, Health to the People, uh, which is available in Loma Linda from the publisher and from Amazon.com, uh, gives you many details of Tyndall's efforts and, uh, and how uh, evangelism began as the result of the vision of 1910. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.